You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Welcome in to Wingnuts in North Buffalo, 700 Military Road, the official in-house podcast home of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am here right now with the founders, Ed and Alicia of Wingnuts. So gracious with your time. This place is amazing. Every time that we come here, we're obviously coming to talk football. We got a football podcast, but there's nothing more Buffalo than chicken wings, and I got to be honest with you. These are the best in the business. I got to be honest with you. Ryan and I, off camera here, put down a double order real quick, and we can do it every time. It's awesome. Thank you for taking some time with me tonight. Pleasure, my pleasure. So I wanted to start out by telling you a bit of a Buffalo Bills story that happened to Wingnuts. In December of 2021, we closed down our dining room to the public and had a private party for the administrative staff of the Buffalo Bills. These were all the kids from behind the scenes, booking flights and scheduling, uh, chauffeuring, all that. The Pagulas were there for four hours. We had a great time. As a, because the, the night went so well, as a gift, they gave us a present, a real Buffalo Bills helmet with Josh Allen's signature on it. And that was like, we were so grateful. And uh, it just seems like there's so many stories Wingnuts has. And that one I'll never forget because they were such great people. Well, for people that know about Wingnuts, it went from the Knights of Columbus to now this big party house. I mean, what's that like for you guys? We love it here. We absolutely love it because, I mean, we walked in at quarter after uh, yeah, quarter after 11, and it was packing up already, and it hasn't stopped today. So what are the what are the plans for Wingnuts? What, what's your grand vision for Wingnuts? I think that's what some people always talk about. I want Wingnuts in every city in the country so I can go eat it. I don't know. I don't know if we can do that. That is going to be a big, tall order to fill. However, I wouldn't mind. I would love to see it go like that because – it almost seems like it is. We get people from all over the world that come to us now. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Ad. Alicia, thank you so much. We're going to get in some Buffalo Bills football. Let's do this show here, all right? All right. Well, thank you so much, thank you so much for watching on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. We're so thankful for you guys signing on to join our show tonight. And I got a couple of guests that I'm going to bring in right now to break this all down. Ryan Talbot, get in here. Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. We got the big show today, buddy. Yeah, this is, I mean, I don't know if I can follow the Wingnuts founders. It's going to be a downgrade for the viewership, for the listenership. 
but it's great to be out here. I got Wingnuts Medium for the first time in my life. I had Buffalo Medium over the summer. Outstanding. Elite Wings immediately in my top three in Buffalo. It's a game changer, and I think you still got a little sauce running down the beard there, buddy. That wouldn't surprise me one bit. That's the, that's the problem with the big beards, I guess. So we're obviously doing our big free agency show from inside Wingnuts Sphere tonight. We got our first move, a big needle mover today, guys. The restructuring of the contract of Tim Settle. Open up $600,000. Guess what? That's not enough for the Bills to do anything in free agency. So we got to talk about, first of all, before we get into any of the moves that we want to see the Bills make, there's some moves that the Bill, that Brandon Bean has to make just to open up some room. And I think that's going to start with Josh Allen restructuring his contract. You have Von Miller out there. You have Stefan Diggs, maybe even like a Deion Dawkins, the restructure of the contract. So that's all going to happen by Monday. Have compliant. They're going to have some room, depending on how much they they want to open up. But I want to start with philosophically, right? We talked to Brandon B multiple times. You were in Indianapolis at the, at the NFL Scouting Combine. Going into this free agency period, what is the main priority from your perspective for Brandon Bean? They have to just diversify because they don't have a ton of money. Um, they have the big splash free agent signing last year with Von Miller, of course. And in the past, last three years, the Bills have averaged signing about 10 outside free agents. That's when Josh Allen was a $10 million cap hit, a $16 million cap hit. Now he's $39 million. So they have to spread out the money a lot more than they have in the past. I think they could still sign maybe six to eight guys from other teams. Just have to be a little more judicious with how you're spending that money. It, it's kind of a misnomer that they can't spend. They can't sign anyone. That's how they have to do it. There doesn't need to be even a, a mid-level to upper-level free agent to make this team better in free agency. What do you think, Ryan? Because I feel like you see all these free agent lists. We've done a couple of them on the site ourselves. You can check them out, Syracuse.com, New York Upstate. And you see some of the big ticket items, right? That's what gets the fans, the people going. But they're probably going to have to swim in maybe that second and third tier. And there's a lot of good names. And really, teams are releasing a lot of guys. So I feel like there's this this free agent pool gets juicier and juicier as we go along. But if you're Brandon Bean, from your perspective, what do you want to see him tackle here the next couple of days once free agency opens? Yeah, you know, obviously it all depends on Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan Poirier. If both of them are gone, which is the report, the belief, the Bills need to figure out is there a stopgap option that we can get in free agency or is there a young player that we feel can come in, be plugged in kind of like Jordan Poyer was back in 2017. They signed him and Micah Hyde on the same day. Hyde was the big name ticket item. Poyer was kind of that relative unknown coming off of the lacerated, uh, the lacerated spleen, I believe uh, with the Browns. And you didn't really know who he was, but he fit right in. I'm sure that the Bills have sat there and said, who are those tier two, tier three guys that we can bring in? Chris? Yeah, no, I was just going to say that the Bills have done a really good job doing exactly what you just said. Von Miller being the big ticket guy last year that we all know. Previously with John Brown and Cole Beasley, Jordan Poyer, um, Daquan Jones was not a big ticket item. When he was signed last season, I think a lot of people were like, okay, just uh, another name on the interior. And I think he was the most consistent player up front for the Bills all season when you factor in Von Miller getting injured. So to Ryan's point, it's a good one. And what you said, second and third wave of free agency, Brandon Bean, the front office, the pro personnel department in this Brandon Bean era, I think has been really good waiting out free agency. We're all excited for it to start Monday. Maybe we'll see a move or two from the Bills, but I think a few days, maybe even five or six days into free agency, 
not only the Bills signing players, but guys that will ultimately become contributors right away in 2023. Yeah, I think there's so many names hitting the market that that's a great point that you make. You can wait a little bit longer. You can maybe do some bargain shopping, if you will. I want to talk about one position group in particular. Kind of zero in on it because if you look at the Brandon Bean model, offensive line is where he has really splurged in free agency. He's tried to like attack the position in numbers, both both in the last couple of years. Really, you think about it probably more so 2019 and then again in 2021. But that successful year where he brought in you know, John Feliciano comes to mind and a couple of those other guys, Quentin Spain, those work. You threw a lot of numbers at the position and they found like average starters. Whereas this year, they had a lot of guys coming back. They paid Ryan Bates. They went out and they signed Roger Sapple. But beyond that, the Greg Van Rotens of the world, the David Questenberries of the world, those guys didn't necessarily work out as much. So I don't know if you look at this offensive line class and we're going to get into some names that we all three of us like in this class. I don't know if there is a bunch of names that you want to kind of chase down. I think they need to address the position in the draft personally. Yeah, I think the draft is probably the way that they're going to have to go about this, Matt, because the starters that you can get in free agency are going to be the hot commodities. They're going to be the ones that are priced out of Buffalo's range. And you mentioned that the, the Bills have gone with the numbers over the years. And for every successful Feliciano, Quentin Spain, there's been a handful of guys that really haven't panned out that have been cut after a year or maybe didn't even make the main roster on the practice squad all year. So the Bills aren't necessarily in that spot right now. And if you look, you could probably get a starting guard in this draft on day two, even early day three. Uh, they seem to have a lot of confidence in Spencer Brown, but you're not going to get a starting right tackle in free agency because tackles are such a hot commodity. Every team wants one, and Buffalo's not going to have the money to, to kind of compete in those bidding wars. One guy in particular I want to ask you about, and I hope he's not in your wish list because we're going to talk about that next segment. But Ben Powers has been a guy that a lot of Bills fans have been really hot on. Like they want the Bills to go after him. He's going to make in that probably 12 to 14 million AAV range. And I look at a guy like a couple of years ago, what Kansas City did with Joe Tooney, a guy top of the market. They brought him in, but, but he's an all pro level player. I don't know if I'm sold on Powers in that department, but I wanted to ask you this, your thoughts on Powers, but then also the fourth round draft pick. Are there a couple guys in the draft that maybe they can draft a Ben Powers-like player and then not have to pay the price, develop them? Yeah, I think to Ryan's point, uh, it, it is pretty rare for just quality blockers to hit free agency. And when they do, the Mike McGlinchies of the world, they're going to sign immediately. And it's going to be a big deal that it's probably going to be priced out of what Buffalo probably will afford. With Ben Powers, what I think is interesting is that he was on the same offensive line as Cody Ford. And certainly he didn't work out coming out of Oklahoma as a second-round pick in 2019. But the Bills probably watched a lot of Ben Powers when he was coming into the draft. So they should have maybe even more of a knowledge of Ben Powers. Um, I think in this draft, this is the best interior offensive line class that we've had in a while. A lot of them are more centers. But John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota, I think he can play center or guard. Um, Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas, same deal. Third to fifth round range, all across the board. Joe Tooney was a was a day three pick out of NC State. So you can get quality players there. It just does feel like to me that Brandon Bean likes to go the free agent route. He's brought in around on average three offensive linemen from other teams during the free agent periods. A lot of them have not worked, but the Ty Sackies, the John Felicianos, like you mentioned, Quentin Spain's have worked. I think he likes to have more trust in those veterans on the interior offensive line. 
I think the free agent interior offensive line class, maybe even second or third wave beyond Ben Powers, beyond Isaac Suamalo from the Philadelphia Eagles, is still pretty good. And they could wait out, maybe not paying someone 12 or 14 million, but somewhere in that five to seven to eight million dollar range. When you only have Ryan Bates, 4.8 million dollars of a cap hit the next two years. So they're not splurging on the position already. One thing I wonder about Ryan is how much of what Chris is talking about with Brandon's kind of penchant for wanting to go the free agent route has something to do with the turnover at the offensive line coach position. Like if you think back to when he first got here, Juan Castillo was in at that job that they turned things over to Bobby Johnson. And it was almost like a race to, we need to put a good offensive line in front of Josh Allen. We don't have time to develop. But now that they have Aaron Cromer in here, they, they, they talk about how much they love him as a teacher and somebody that's been around the league and studied behind really smart offensive line minds. Don't you have to draft a couple of guys and start to prove if you can develop players at that position? It hasn't worked so well on the defensive line, but I think in this league, when you pay your quarterback, you have to be able to develop talent on the lines. Otherwise, you're screwed. Yeah, no, I mean, that's perfectly said. And Aaron Cromer has that reputation of being a great teacher. And, you know, I think last year was kind of tough for him because he inherited that offensive line. He didn't have much say about the guys that were there, the depths that was there. Uh, he brought in Roger Saffold, who he had a, a relationship with. But now the Bills can kind of sit back and say, okay, who in free agency are guys that would fit your system? Who on day two of this draft or late in round one, day three, are guys that you think you can teach, you can mold, and are prototypical, those guys that can anchor but also move? He always says it's really important that you can kind of anchor yourself there, that you're uh, that's so important to him. And I'm sure there's going to be a handful of guys that he's going to be targeting in this draft class that he'll pound the table on in April. All right. Did you have something to add there? No, just that for the last five and five of the last seven, Bill's first and second round picks have been on defense. So I think it's time, whether it's receiver, whether it's offensive line, I think those are the two biggest, most glaring needs for the Bills. It seems like they need to prioritize those positions and that side of the ball after being very defensive heavy in those first two rounds where you're, of course, getting the best talent. All right, let's have a little fun here. Um, I was talking about this before the show via text, putting together our, our dream team, our wish list of free agents that we think that would fit in what the Bills want to do and what we think maybe Brandon Bean and company are looking at. I'll start with you, and we're just going to rattle these off. You know, throw a name out there, talk a little bit about it. We can kind of debate it. If anybody's got some uh, pushback, feel free to push back. That's the fun of it, but let's start with you. Okay, now listen, I want to keep in mind, Matt, you mentioned the Bills have gone after some high-ticket items. They're not shopping at expensive stores this year. They're going to Ollie's and Marshall's for the most part, all right? So here's my list. Dalton Reisner, a young... One at a time. Don't be dropping that whole list right now, Ryan. I see you going down. He's top. He's top of my list right now. He fits a need. A lot of starting experience. I I know the last memory that a lot of fans have in their head is him arguing with the quarterback on the sidelines in Denver. But he has been a solid to above average starter in his career. And I think he can be had in that second tier of free agency. So I like the idea. Where do you feel like that price tag is going to land because are you comfortable with like 333 for Reisner who could arguably be maybe the third or fourth best interior offensive lineman available? Yeah, I was thinking eight to 10 range. So if you can get him in that range, again, starting experience, fills the need, uh, addresses a big need for this team in terms of protecting Josh Allen, I would be comfortable in that area. All right. Well, 
I think that's a little bit out of my price range personally, but maybe Brandon Bean says, I want to go out and I want to get a day one guy that can come in here. We can put him in at starter. We don't have any questions. Roger Saffold, they thought was that guy for $6 million. It just did not turn out. All right, who's your first name? I'll stay on the offensive line. I'll go Nate Davis, the guard from the Tennessee Titans. They've certainly shopped with the Tennessee Titans in the past with Quentin Spain up front. Roger Saffold obviously um, started in ten- or played in Tennessee as well. Questionberry as well. So I don't know if they like those blockers that are coached by Mike Vrabel or whatever it is. Nate Davis and Dalton Reiser to me are pretty similar players. They're above average starters. They're not elite guys. I think Nate Davis will be somewhere in that seven to nine million dollar range, um, which I think is reasonable in today's NFL at the guard spot. When again, you're not paying Ryan Bates that much. He's mobile. He's got a low center of gravity. I think he does anchor pretty well because he's pretty powerful. I remember scouting him at Charlotte, and that's the the name of the game with him is that he's a very good anchoring player. Better run blocker than he is a pass protector. That could be maybe what would give the Bills some pause. But I do think there is a push to be better blocking for the run, and that's where Nate Davis would come in. Again, 7 to $9 million per year and could come in and, and be your starting left guard right away. It's funny you mentioned that because with, for me with um, Powers, back to him for a second, I've, I've looked at him quite a bit because of how much Bills fans have liked him. The, the knock on him would be that he's a really good pass blocker, but it really falls off in the run game. So I think the Bills have to ask a question before they figure out any of these players. What do we want to be? Like, I know the Derrick Henry juice is out there that everybody likes talking about that. If you go out there and bring a power run runner into the system and you want to change the identity of the team, you need somebody that can run block quite a bit. And a bed powers, I don't necessarily know how that fits in. All right, I'm going to change this up a little bit. We go to the wide receiver position. We've talked a lot about him already, but we're talking about our wish list, right? And to me, this is a guy that fits in perfectly with how the offense is currently constructed, and that's DJ Chark. It's going to be pricey, and there's injury issues, but I think he fits a need that two things. Number one, he's going to add a dynamic of speed to the offense. He's going to be able to play on the outside, which they can get a little bit more creative with what they do with Diggs and maybe even Davis, too. It doesn't solve the slot problem, but we'll figure that out down the ro- down the road. The other thing that I really like about Shark is if you can get him in at about seven or eight million, and maybe that's being a little bit optimistic. I don't know. There's some injury issues there. If you can get him into the situation, he can do different things, and I think you could go still draft a wide receiver even like early in the draft which I think no matter what the Bills do in free agency, I'm worried if they sign like an Odell Beckham Jr. We can talk about him a little bit too. If that maybe changes their draft plans, and I don't want anything to trade to change their draft plans on wide receiver. Yeah, and I, I think that he would be a great addition to that this roster. He's one of the bigger names, though, in a weak wide receiver market. So again, Brandon Bean would have to be going into this and say on day one of the legal tampering window, this is the guy that we want. We're going to spend that money to go get him because realistically, look at this class. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be up there. There's the injury concerns. The Bills were there uh, at his workout on Friday. But if they don't go that route, Matt, I think there's two ways they can go. They can go with a a younger player with speed like Paris Campbell. We've talked about Paris Campbell a lot on this show. So I'm going to go with someone else. I'm going to go with Adam Thielen as well. Adam Thielen, still good friends with Stefan. What's the cost on that, do you think? You know, that's the great question because he's older. He doesn't separate as well anymore. Really good against the zone, really good in the red zone. Uh, so I don't know what the cost is or what it will be off the top of my head. But I think that he's not going to be in that first wave of free agents. And what's important to him, he said, is if he gets released, he wants to play on a contender 
with an elite quarterback. Check and check for the Bills. So there's a lot of reasons that I think Thielen might take a little bit of a discount to play with the Bills. The one thing I'm interested on Thielen is the true relationship and dynamic with him and Diggs. You watched Stephon Diggs right on the shop, the video that's kind of going around this week. He talked talked a lot about that. Maybe we'll do that on a show next week. But he talked about the dynamic with him and Thielen is they're still very good friends. They talk a lot. But he wanted to leave Minnesota because he felt like the Vikings thought Thielen was the first guy. And I don't even know, like, does that impact a potential pairing now down the road? I don't know. It would be an interesting dynamic to kind of flip the script there where that's why Diggs wanted out because they were – funneling the targets to Adam Thielen and they, and he felt the Vikings were kind of holding him back a little bit. I think at this point, Adam Thielen would understand he's not going to come in and even compete with Diggs in terms of getting targets. I like that idea. And if you guys have talked about Paris Campbell a lot, I'll be brief on him. Some stats, 13 forced missed tackles last season, two fewer than Diggs. That's insane. Way fewer catches ran four, three, one at the combine in 2019. He's been injured a lot. He finally was healthy, probably in the six to eight million dollar range, maybe right in the chart range, maybe a little more because it is a weak wide receiver class. He seems like someone that, again, even if they do spend upwards of eight or nine million, they wouldn't necessarily say, "Okay, we're not going to draft a wide receiver. So Paris Campbell is the guy for me that can take those drag routes and hit 50 yard gains was more of a possession guy with the Colts. But now fully healthy, going into an offseason, probably his first offseason in the NFL where he is fully healthy, maybe he'll get some of that juice back and can be that yards after the catch guy that I think the Bills have really needed over the last three years. Odell Beckham Jr. worked out uh, for 13 teams, I think it's up to. I saw the latest report. The Bills were there, so obviously still interested in uh, OBJ, and obviously Von Miller's probably going to be pushing those buttons. Thoughts on that and what the contract looks like? Like right now, thinking about it, if he's going to be at, at like maybe say two or three years at thirteen million per season, where are you at in terms of that? What you're getting and how that potentially fits into the offense? I'm out completely at that number just because of the injury concerns that I have. I get that he looked great at a workout, uh, but it was a full season that he missed. ACL injuries are nothing to kind of mess around with. It's just something I wouldn't be comfortable with if I'm Brandon Bean. Obviously, yes, uh, his former wide receivers coach is in Buffalo now. Von Miller would love to have him here. But if you have 13 teams looking at him, attending those workouts, someone's probably going to offer him the money he's looking for, and and Buffalo would be wise not to go up to that price range. Yeah, I'm not comfortable in the the 12 to 13, $14 million range. Kind of tabbed it at close to 10, anywhere between 8 to 10. And maybe the Bills could offer – Maybe he wants a one-year deal to then, you know, break out with Josh Allen and then sign another deal. Or maybe he wants that long-term stability, which I think he's actually said, now that I'm thinking of it, that he wants this stop to be his last stop, I think he's mentioned. So you're right. Maybe there'll be, there probably will be other teams that will say, hey, look, we'll sign you two, three years, $12, $13 million. I think the connection with Adam Henry cannot be ignored. It reminds me so much of when the Bills hired Phil McGagan in 2017, he was Zay Jones, his wide receiver coach at East Carolina. And all the draft season in 2017, it was all about, are they going to really draft Zay Jones? And they ultimately did. So Sean McDermott, maybe he's kind of showing his hand a little bit like, hey, Odell, we maybe, I don't know if they'll take less money, but just sweeten the pot a little bit to have his guy that was his wide receiver coach at LSU and with the Giants and with the Browns here in Buffalo. And the interesting thing, too, is I think Sean's really big on that because – he talked about Terrell Bernard, and one of the reasons they were so high on him is his relationship with his coach at Baylor. So 
So I think this regime in general, they do really like to include coaches, relationships, guys that know them can kind of bring that back into the mix. So that's interesting. All right, let's rapid fire here. Go through a couple more dream picks. And this kind of one is going to probably shock some people because I don't know if it's necessarily a dream team item. But I really like the potential upside of Andre Dillard, the interior now offensive lineman from the Philadelphia Eagles who went to the Super Bowl. They drafted him to be a tackle. It did not work out. Before long, they landed on Jordan Mailata, who's turned into this freak show. But Dillard, they worked him out in the interior, 58 snaps this year. And in pass protection, was really good. Limited amount of snaps. So now, he's a guy that the Bills love. They covet versatility. Play inside, play outside. He could do that in a pinch. But also, maybe they, he's on his home in the NFL. You can get him at an affordable deal. His traits are off the chart. Let me ask you this, because you scouted him. What do you think about him as a player, what you've seen in the NFL, and how that fit would work? You know what? He was not on my dream scenario list, but he should have been because I think everything that you laid out with the versatility, I think Spencer Brown's start, like his grasp on the starting job is is kind of tenuous at this point, and they would like that versatility. Scouting Andre Dillard at Washington State, they threw the ball all over the lot. He was a really, really good pass protector. He just needed to get a lot stronger. Had some injuries early in his career with the Eagles, so I think that's kind of hindered him a little bit. I think he's really good at guard, and Ryan's brought it up before. They want mobile guards. They don't want, and I'm not going to say that they're definitely not going to pick Osiris Torrance, who's kind of the top-rated guard from Florida in the draft, but he's not really mobile. And Andre Dillard, like you said, very, very good athlete. And at guard, he's probably going to be one of the most athletic guards in the league. Not going to cost a lot of money, too, which is kind of the theme of what the Bills have to do in free agency. Good stuff. Next wish list, Scott. Yeah, so you just mentioned relationships, Matt. So I'm going with Eric Kendricks. Eric Kendricks to be that stopgap for Tremaine Edmonds. And fun fact, 20... Are we all, before you go into this, are we all on the Tremaine Edmonds is gone front? What's the percentage we're at? You're on 100%? I, I'm on 100%. I think that he's going to cash in elsewhere. I'm at like 68%. Like 80. 80. So all in the same vicinity. Okay. So Eric Kendricks... Back in 2020, Bill Parcells said that was his favorite player. Brandon Bean uses Bill Parcells as a sounding board. He's talked about it before. It's been talked about in podcasts. So if he is looking for a two-year stopgap, three-year stopgap for Edmonds, while they draft someone to develop them to kind of eventually take over that role, who better than Eric Kendricks, who 137 tackles last year, uh, defensive touchdown, sorry, came against the Bills. Uh, So, you know, one sack, a lot of passes defense, flies all over the field to this day. I like Leighton Vanderash a lot. I, very quickly on Kendricks, I watched him at UCLA. I loved him coming out. He was a second-round pick. He should have gone earlier. Leighton Vanderash to me, fits what the Bills like in terms of size at the middle linebacker spot. Um, I think the, if they want to be aggressive in free agency at all, I think they have to do it at linebacker because they like the size. He's the same size as Tremaine Edmonds. 6'5", 250 pounds, was in that same first round in 2018 was awesome as a rookie, was better than Tremaine Edmonds as a rookie, had a neck injury, and that kind of derailed him for the next two seasons. He's been mostly healthy the last few years in Dallas, really resurrected his career. Not quite as fast sideline to sideline, but athleticism, change of direction. I think he has coverage upside in Sean McDermott's scheme, and probably like Kendricks, not going to cost a ton of money. So to maintain that same dichotomy between Matt Milano being the small 
fast sideline to sideline guy and the big kind of soccer net in the middle of the defense, they could do that with Leighton Vanderash. So I'm going to go to the defensive line and I'm going to talk about Shaq Lawson in general because I think a month ago I would have told you he's really likely probably going to be back with the Bills, right? Now Leslie Frazier's gone. He's been very outspoken about not loving that. So I don't know if that maybe impacts his decision. I like a two-pronged attack at edge rusher for the Bills because I know they have A.J. Epinesa. I know they have Boogie Basham. And I think that there's still some, especially in Boogie's case, I don't think we've written the whole story on him yet. I want to see what year three looks like. I like the idea of Frank Clark. And I know you don't because you put a thumbs down on him in your story uh, yesterday, right? Well, he, he was in the article originally. He didn't actually make the final cut. But I, I was wondering about the price that it's going to take to bring in a Frank Clark. That was my big uh what gave you cause, I suppose. Let me ask you this then. Are you in at $6 million? Absolutely, at $6 million. Okay, that's where I'm looking at because I look at Melvin Ingram. When he was coming off of his peak with the Chargers and what he started signing for around the league, I think that could be Frank Clark. And I'll tell you right now, he dialed it up in the playoffs. There was a couple games where he was an impact player, and I think the Bills need that. Another, like, splashy player opposite Von Miller. And that's if Von Miller returns the full form this year right away. There's question marks in the defensive line. I like Frank Clark. The second part is Ingram himself. He's killed the Bills. He's looked really good against the Bills the last couple of years. I like him to get one of those two guys. I think Dunlap would maybe fall into that category, but I think he's a little too old. What's interesting is that because of how much the Bills have prioritized defensive line in the draft recently, I think it's kind of a low-key position that they will address in free agency that not a lot of people are thinking about because of all the young pieces. You're right, with Jack Lawson, he's not a guarantee to be back on this team in 2023. I'm going to go with, as always, a former draft crush, Obo Okoronkwo from the Texans. I wanted the Bills to sign him last year. He actually, this is kind of embarrassing, I had a first-round grade on him in 2018. He got picked in the fifth round, which kind of shows how big of a disparity that you can get with draft evaluations and the actual reality of the draft. He reminds me so much of Jerry Hughes. He's like 6'1", 6'2", 255. Bendy, acceleration, and pass rush moves. He was always behind a bunch of first-round picks. Leonard Floyd in L.A. with the Rams. Dante Fowler there with the Rams was always a rotational guy. But when he played, he was actually pretty good. Last year, uh, signed a pretty cheap deal with the Texans and was really, really good. Generated a pressure on close to 14% of his pass rushing snaps. He's a good player. He's going to be a third or fourth wave guy most likely. And even if he's not, I don't think he's going to break the bank. I think he could learn a lot from Von Miller, too, because he's a smaller pass rusher that's one with speed and bend and pass rush moves around the corner. We talked about Tremaine Edmonds. I think Jordan Poyer's probably gone. So I'm going to go to the safety position for my next one. And I really like the versatility of Marcus Epps. Doesn't do anything like great, but that's the thing. The Wyoming guy. Remember earlier this season, Josh was in a press conference, and I think it was Mark Gaughan, asked him about Wyoming players that he's linked up with before the Cincinnati game because he's going to play against Logan Wilson. And he said, oh, don't forget about Marcus Epps. So I don't know if maybe he's calling up Big Baller Bean and saying, like, get my boy Marcus Epps here. But I like the idea of going and getting a, a veteran that's not going to break the bank and then Epps who could come in. He started 17 games last year and then drop the safety. They need to sign some safeties. They don't really have, I mean, especially if Jordan Boyer is not on the team, and, and it's pretty similar to Edmonds, right, that we don't expect him to return at this point. With Micah Hyde, DeMar Hamlin, we don't know his football uh, playing future. I like Andrew Wingard from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Talk about relationships, kind of become the theme of this podcast. The Bills signed or hired Joe Dana, safeties coach. Where was he the last three years? In Jacksonville with Andrew Wingard. 
kind of feels like that Don Feliciano or Jordan Poyer type where it was always a rotational piece. When he was a starter, he was actually pretty good. Not amazing. Not so good that he's going to price himself out of signing in Buffalo. Um, and I think a three-down type that kind of fits that role of he can be better in Sean McDermott's defense that has been very friendly to a lot of safety. So Andrew Wingard, because of the connection and the price, I really like him at the safeties. Deep dive. I love that one. Yeah, listen, both of those safeties that you mentioned would be great because just like Chris said, there's not a lot of guys coming back. Dean Marlowe, free agent. Jaquan Johnson, free agent. And he's been more of a special team guy over the uh, last few years. So I think that's a good route to go with one of those veterans. My last guy's a running back, though. James Robinson was traded to the Jets this year. Did not, Uh-oh, is that your guy, too? Hate it. Hate him. Oh, Oh, I think he's cooked. At 24 years old? Yeah, I think that the confidence level, the confidence issues are there. What happened in New York, I think, is a real problem for him. And maybe you can use that to kind of springboard yourself and like, all right, I'm going to prove it next year. I don't know. that For him to not get any run after Brees Hall got hurt, that's a, that's a concern for me. See, for me, it comes down to the system, maybe. Maybe he didn't uh, pick up the system fast enough. For Robinson, though, over 1,000 yards as a rookie, 1,800 yards in his first two seasons, uh, someone that could be a really good complement, I think, to James Cook. So, uh, like I said, at 24 years old, I, I think you're talking about a bargain signing, someone that's not going to have a huge market. So, for that reason, I'm okay bringing him in, trying to make him be that complement with James Cook. We're all going to do a running back because I got a running back as well. Dante Foreman, uh, Carolina Panthers, Derek Henry Light. Why pay $11 million for Derek Henry? But you could go out and get Dotsa Foreman, who kind of plays the same style and almost had a thousand yards last year. He was top 10 last season. I might be misspeaking. His yards after contact average was better than some of the elites of the elites, the Dalvin Cooks of the world. Um, There's a couple other that really kind of stood out to me. Look up Dotsa Foreman's stats. They're really good. I like that idea. And I think because of the running backs that are going to kind of flood the market here as well. He's probably under Devin Singletary. Probably going to get less than Devin Singletary. I like that a little bit more. I think he pairs well with Cook. All right. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer because we're here at Froth, eating wing nuts. Everything's been great tonight. And maybe it's the draft guy in me. I think they should basically avoid running back in free agency altogether. Um, I think with Josh Allen being the center of this offense, we all agree you know, about that. Third, fourth, fifth wave, if they sign someone of one year, $2 million, that's fine to get another veteran in there. Like they signed Duke Johnson last year. Something like that. I don't think they should allocate any exorbitant money at all at the running back spot. Another step for you. Last year, yards per carry, five of the top 10 guys among qualifying running backs were all day three picks. 12 of the top 20 were all fourth round picks or later. You can get them in the draft. And it's a really deep class. It's not just Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. We'll be sitting there in the fifth or sixth round in late April and being like, look at all these running backs who are available. So sign your Duke Johnson type for super cheap in free agency. You have James Cook. He averaged almost six yards per carry as a rookie. It's a pass first team with Josh Allen. I would avoid running back altogether in free agency. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a couple other things that I want to kind of talk about. And I, I, I think let's, let's kind of like shoehorn this in real quick. And then there's a follow-up. What position are you looking at in terms of free agency that is really deep that you think is going to allow the bills to operate in that, that third tier, but maybe get a second tier quality player? Well, that's a great question. There, there are players or there are positions where I think it's the exact opposite. Maybe that's your follow-up. It would have to be somewhere on the defense side of the ball. I would probably think maybe at that safety position, some of the players that were already mentioned, like a wing guard who has the relationship like the apps. So I'm thinking the safety position uh, for me, you could even go defensive line, but I don't want to steal anyone else's answers here. No, it's okay. I'm turning this over to you, and I'm going to pivot off that. I'm not going to ask you which free agency position group. I'm going to, like, which one is deepest. I'm going to ask you which position group in the draft is so deep that you don't want the Bills to even consider signing somebody in free agency or anybody of substance. Besides running back, which I just talked about, it's got to be tight end. I mean, we all agree. Anyone that follows the beginning of the draft process here has seen that it is really a very good and deep tight end class. There's Dalton Schultz out there. There's Mike Kosicki. They need to stay away from that. I do think after signing OJ Howard last season, they want to add some depth behind Dawson Knox. They like him. They want to feature him. He's been good. I don't think he's been great. I don't think he's lived up to that contract yet. Um, but third, fourth, fifth round even, there will be some instant contributors at the tight end spot um, in the draft that they don't need to spend really at all at running back or tight end. All right, last segment, and then I'm going to get a couple fans in here because we're out at wing nuts here. We're going to have some fun. Let's bring some fans in, bring their, their perspective into the show. Let's go one player each that you don't want the Bills to pursue, that you think – Maybe it's popular amongst, you know, Bills Mafia or Bills fans in general, but maybe it's, you know, you fire beware, if you will. Well, for me, it'd be Kenny Galladay. Uh, again, there are Bills fans that want Kenny Galladay? No, but he was on my avoid list. Again, you know, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons in Detroit. Then he suffered an injury. Still signed a pretty good deal with the Giants the year after that. 500 yards his first year, but you thought with Brian Dable in the mix, if anyone could bring something out of him, it would be Dable. And really... Worst season of his career, uh, wasn't much of a contributor, had the drop issues as well. So for me, Galladay, even if you can get him at a low, low rate, is someone I would avoid at all costs. Okay, what do you got? This is not going to be popular, but I'll say Derrick Henry, just to stick with the anti-running back theme, because you're going to have to trade a pick for him, unless he gets flat out released, which seems a little bit of a stretch right now, although uh, the Titans seem to be kind of draining the sink with the new GM there, Rand Carthen. Um to not have or to not only have to trade a draft pick, but then probably pay him a good amount of money. I think there would be a push to say, hey, you have Derrick Henry, who's been a multiple time rushing leader. He should kind of become more of the focus of the offense. 
The ball needs to be in Josh Allen's hands, throwing the ball or running the ball as much as often. So it's fun for fantasy football purposes or just envisioning Josh Allen handing the ball to Derrick Henry. But the price and the draft pick for a team that's not loaded with extra draft picks this year, I think the Bills should stay away from Derrick Henry. I'm going to go back to Powers. I know it's probably lazy. I should have brought somebody back out because I've seen it so heavily across Bill's Twitter. Like Ben Powers is the guy. And to your point, I didn't really think about that. Like if the Bills did spend a lot of time scouting him back at Oklahoma, they might be willing to pay a high price tag for him. I just think that's a bad idea because I just don't think he's the caliber of player that some of these high profile offensive linemen have been to. He's the best example that have come in, started and been all pro caliber right away i just don't think you're getting that time to become that higher level player he kind of fits the mold to me ben powers good player that he's gonna get kind of overpaid in free agency because he's like 26 27 years old had his best pass blocking season this past season when before this it's kind of a major liability in that phase of the game and what ryan brought up earlier which i think is a great point he's not the most mobile guy in baltimore they were getting downhill man on man head on the hat with Aaron Cromer, he wants to get those linemen moving sideways, being more mobile. So I don't know even if it's that great of a scheme fit to then pay 10 plus million at the guard spot. Last thing, I forgot. I'm going to get this in here because it's it's a fun conversation. I think it'll send us out uh, of this part of the show in a fun way. Trades, right? Like I think that that's one way that we don't talk a whole lot about because it's hard to predict them, but one that – you look at the biggest shift to the Bills roster under Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, and it was when they traded for Stephon Diggs. And so maybe adding in that way is an interesting one. And I was just, I don't know, I was kind of thinking about different ones that they could do. And I saw Cortland Sutton from Denver tweet that he doesn't seem very happy with where he's at. And it got me thinking, okay, he's at about $15 million a year right now. That's about what you're probably going to have to give Gabriel Davis, right? If you're not sold on that, if you're the Bills, and I don't know if they are or not, Maybe you package two guys that there's questions about. Gabriel Davis and Ed Oliver, you send them to Denver for Cortland Sutton, who I think is a better separator than Gabriel Davis. So I think answers that question. And I just think he's a better receiver. Gabriel Davis could become that, but I just think he's a better receiver. And then maybe their third round pick, something where you add another top 90 pick, add it to the mix. What are your thoughts? And what are your thoughts in general about trading Ed Oliver and or Gabriel Davis. Yeah, listen, in, in that scenario, I actually like it because you already have Sutton under contract for about what you'd be paying Gabe Davis. You would get $10 million off the books in Ed Oliver. And, and Chris already mentioned this a few minutes ago. Daquan Jones is one of the best free agent signings of the Bills last year, and they didn't break the bank to sign him. They could find a, a better fit for this defense because Ed Oliver, undersized, high-motor guy, I think they could find a, a better fit in free agency, tier two, tier three. But they could also use that third round pick to address the position as well and find someone that maybe won't blow you away in terms of who you think they could be, like when they drafted out at Oliver at number nine. But I think it would kind of even itself out in terms of the cap and in terms of the talent you'd be getting in return. If Brandon Bean is watching this, he needs to make that trade right now. Call up Sean Payton, uh, George Payton, their GM, and say, let's make this deal because – I think Corlin Sutton, like you said, is he's a better wide receiver than Gabriel Davis, better separator. He's definitely, unequivocally better after the catch. Contact balance, he's a bigger body. Gabriel Davis, in a niche role, downfield guy we've seen, and he's caught a lot of touchdowns, a lot of big plays. 
I don't think leading into next offseason, the Bills at this point would feel great about, all right, we got to pay Gabriel Davis 15 million, 12 to $15 million per year. Oh, what if it gets up to like 17? Like, are you even, are you, are you closing the book on that if that even comes up in the conversation? Yeah, you're not paying Gabriel Davis $17 million per season unless he has double the production of what he's had like every season with the Bills. You do that for a lot of the reasons that Brian said or uh, Ryan said. Another element to it, the Broncos are probably going to lose Draymond Jones, their interior pass rusher in free agency. He's a lot like Ed Oliver. He's undersized. He's a great pass rusher, gets up the field. They're going to have a need at that undersized three technique. They would probably be interested in Ed Oliver. It's the same thing with him. I think they want to get more out of him. They've always kind of nudged him a little bit to say like, hey, we, we need to see him play a little better. He's never really lived up to that, only in flashes. You're not going to pay him after this season. So if you could get that in return and help the offense to get rid of someone on defense and invest in the offense, that's exactly what the Bills need to do um, in this offseason. Um, you, you can find all of Chris's work over at CBSSports.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Trapasso. You got Bills Mafia in a, in a tizzy today with this mock draft, sir. You dropped a you dropped a wide receiver on him that nobody knew anything about, or that they thought should be a second round talent. Okay, so here's the reason you talked about traits that the Bills have really prioritized traits not only just in the draft but also in free agency. Jordan Addison in this latest mock, and I've done a thousand of them. I'm going to do a hundred more before the draft, so don't get don't get too much in a tizzy about it. Jordan Addison, 5'11", 173 at the combine. He was available in this mock. Ran 4.49, which at that weight, he should have run, run a lot faster than that. And I just feel like the Bills are going to look at that and say, that's not really checking the boxes that we like to see, especially in a first-round pick. Rasheed Rice from SMU is the wide receiver that I mocked to the Bills at 27. Ran 4.51, but he's 6'1", 205. 41-inch vertical, a lot more explosive than Jordan Addison. Actually, and it's kind of the SMU tie, he reminds me a lot of Cortland Sutton. He's great after the catch um, because he has that running back build. And in those contested catch situations, that's really where he thrives. That's not what you're going to get out of Jordan Addison. So you would have kind of a compliment in Diggs, who's a separator, uh, can get open at all three levels. And you would have someone with a bigger body that can provide more than what Gabriel Davis can if they draft a Rasheed Rice in the first or maybe even in the second round. I also think I get a kick out of the overreactions to the mock drafts because I tell fans all the time, even when I do mock drafts, like they're an exercise to get you thinking about what could be possible. I don't think that you're going, you know, you're bringing your rice, uh, you know, Bible to, to class every day, banging it, saying you got to draft them. It's an idea. Yeah, it's just an idea. And it, I will say with the Bills picks, I have more knowledge of the Bills and other teams. So, I, I again, looking at what they need, we talked about DJ Chark being a perimeter guy. That's where I think Rasheed Rice is better on the outside predominantly than most of the other top receivers in this class after Quentin Johnston, who's not going to be there for Buffalo. And again, I think the biggest priority, the theme of the offseason for the Bills is loading up on the offensive side. We've seen the Chiefs do it. The Bengals certainly have done it. The Bills have loaded up on the defensive side in today's NFL and especially in the AFC today with how many quality quarterbacks there are. They just got to get more weapons. So in the mock, if there's not that interior offensive lineman there, going receiver, I think, is where the Bills should ultimately lean. All right, we're going to supercharge this thing. I'm going to send you guys out. I'll bring you back in a minute. Thank you, Chris, so much. Find him at Chris Chapasso on Twitter. All of his draft coverage is going to be great. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right, Mike, come on in here. 
We're going to go to the fan portion of the evening. I got our good buddy, Michael Partham. Always comes out to these events. I appreciate it. How you doing, Matt? I'm great. How are you? Uh, pretty good. If anybody noticed on YouTube the uh, camera shaking earlier, that was not another earthquake. That was the uh, the kids over here playing limbo with the slinky. I don't know. So, hey, they're a ball. Yes. So that's something that you don't see because it's off camera. But I'm pretty sure I got my entire one side of the family here. And I think a little bit of the other side. So it's a fun time. All right. We're going to do this uh, super cat speed, as the kids would say. What do you got for me? Um, what do you want to talk about? Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, defensive philosophy in the playoffs. Uh, Leslie Fisher's got a pretty good regular season defense, ranked number one or number two. And that's pretty good when you're facing average teams. When you're coming up against great quarterbacks, all of a sudden the defenses sort of seem to wilt in the playoffs the last three or four years or so. And the question was actually raised uh, by uh, Pat Moran, who you're going to be on with in a couple of Thursdays, by, by the way, so check that out. So when we come up against great quarterbacks, the defense doesn't do as well. And you say, oh, it's just Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. But the very next week, as others have pointed out before, these teams that beat us just happen to lose the very next week. And these quarterbacks who play so great against us play, at least to their standards, a little more average. So you have to ask what's going on. Are the Chiefs' defenses and the Bengals' defenses that much better than our number one, number two ranked regular season defenses? And you have to wonder whether it can't, comes down to play calling because people have praised Sean McDermott for his play calling when he was with the Panthers coaching their defense. And not to mention, I believe, I don't know if you can recall what game it was a couple of years ago when Sean took over play calling duties from Leslie, Leslie Frazier in the second half of the game, and they played a lot better that game. So now with Sean primed to take over the play calling duties without an official defensive coordinator. Maybe maybe the defense gets a little more aggressive. Whether that means more man, more blitzes, we're not sure yet. But perhaps even with a couple of losses like uh, Jordan Poirier and Tremaine Edmonds on the defense, maybe they actually improve next year. I mean, it's a, it's a question mark. It's a, almost a Schrodinger's defense at this point. And as far as the defensive line goes, I think – you have when you have a guy like Von Miller, you almost have the Bruce Smith effect, where if you've got some competent guys next to him, and you have the one guy that the other uh, offense is focusing on trying to stop double team or whatever, it frees up the other guys, of course, to do more. And of course, when Von Miller was injured at the last third of the season, all of a sudden the pass rush, the pressure rate sort of dropped off from like the top five of the league to the bottom five of the league. Now, of course, Von Miller is going to have to take some time to get back. Uh, not unlike uh, Trey White did. Maybe he pulls off some uh, superhuman John Cena recovery effort. Maybe he can be back in time for the start of the season. But without him, I believe the pressure is going to, excuse me here, the pressure is going to sort of drop off as far as the Bills front court. But I don't know if that makes much of a difference because I'd rather see us pressure in the secondary and make quarterbacks wait to throw the ball less than, more than two and a half seconds. Because I recall years when we had a front four named the Colt front. We had Jerry Hughes, Kyle Williams, Mario Williams, and Marcel Darius, all guys who were capable of having 10 sack seasons in any given season. I think three of them went to the Pro Bowl in the same season one year. And I can recall games against Eli Manning, who, oh, Eli Manning, he's a statue back there. We're going to eat his eat lunch or whatever. And he was just quick throwing us to death all the game. And he ended up, uh, the Giants, I think, uh, that particular year with Rex Ryan ending up uh, uh, beat the Bills. And there were games against Tom Brady where, oh, he's starting two rookie offensive linemen and another one's injured. We're just going to go front four against this guy all day. And, he, and, of course, Tom Brady wins like always. So you have to ask yourself, 
a good game for a defensive lineman is like maybe two sacks, a few tackles. But against the Burrow, against the Mahomes, you put them in a second 17 situation, and what do they do? They just laugh it up and say, here, I'll throw it to Kelsey. I'll throw it to Chase or whoever they got in their arsenal. We have a guy like that in our arsenal. When the Bills get in second 17 these days, are we are we not confident that Josh Allen can throw it to Stephon Diggs or whoever else he needs to to make up that up in two plays or even one play? So how much worth is it to get a sack or two extra in any given game when you're playing with – the goal is to surpass guys that can make that up in a couple of plays. That was a rant, my friend. You threw a lot at me there. <laughs> I'm just calling it like I see. And I like it. a compliment to uh, Pat Brand, all the great podcasters out there, like uh, Cover One and all those guys. No, for sure. Um, I want to go back to your first point, though, for a second. And thank you so much. I appreciate. It. I want to bring. I want to bring Ryan back on so we can talk about it a little bit. Thank you. So. The thing that he asked about is like, what's basically big picture? What's going to change now from losing Leslie Frazier and going to Sean McDermott, and how that potentially could change the effectiveness of some against some of these elite quarterbacks in the NFL? One of the things for me, more so than anything, is that I think it makes the defense now understand the ownership that Sean is taking over the defense if he becomes the play caller. So. Now, the, the message is going to be filtered through a middleman. It is going to be directly from Sean McDermott. How do I want you to blitz? How do I want you to rush? How do I? He's going to be in those meetings. He's going to be in those defensive meetings. I think that changes the dynamic. I don't know if it's necessarily better, but I think for Sean to go into this, I think he thinks that there's a path to success with it. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, you know, one of the reports that came out after this was the Bills want to be more aggressive. They want to be more aggressive up front, getting after the quarterback. I, I'm sure they've wanted to be more aggressive over the past few years. It just hasn't happened. So we'll see what Sean McDermott actually does with that. But you're right. The message is no longer funneled through Leslie Frazier or funneled through these uh, assistant coaches. It's Sean McDermott. If he's calling the plays, if he's going to be doing all that, you know where it's coming from. And it all starts with him. You know, the other thing, though, I want to say, though, is if you're Sean McDermott, you need to have a transition plan in place for this season. I think over the course of a full year, it's going to get a little too tedious for him to be calling these plays. So pick one coach, whether it's someone that's on the staff, someone that you brought along or that you signed this offseason to come on board, someone that you feel like you can hand it off to at some point this year where you can go back to that. Because being a head coach, you have a, you wear a lot of hats, Matt. And I think the res- added responsibility now of being the play caller could take its toll on Sean McDermott. Well, this show has been absolutely awesome. I hope that you enjoyed it. You got your free agent fix. Uh, big week next week. Keep it locked on at Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. We're going to have daily shows probably. If there's something to react to, you're going to find us live on this channel. We're coming to you from Wingnuts. You can get out here anytime. We're going to have a show here every month, so make sure you keep it locked to the timeline to figure out when we're going to be live here. You can come out wings, drink some beers with the two of us. It's going to be fun. For Ryan Talbot, I'm losing my voice. I'm Matt Perino. We'll see you next week for Free Agency. Hey, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.